a boom chakalaka. That's a time. That, that, and the one about have that music director play a couple more hymns and y'all give more. I, you know, it's funny. We make fun of this stuff, but the funny is, it's not funny. <laughs> we really, yeah. yeah. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever, like, you know, when you talk about death, you kind of make fun of death? You know, like this week sometime I said, you know, I said, well, I might as well make my reservation for the nursing home because time goes by so fast. Yep, ha, ha, ha. And we joke about that because it kind of eases the tension. Well, hopefully that today eased the tension just a little bit. As we talk about, actually one of the scriptures that he mentions in one of the, one of the skits there is Malachi chapter 3 and verse number, uh, sorry, in verse number 6. We want to talk about giving but something a lot bigger. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a true confession. Would you all like a true confession? I thought the first service was a little bit too serious. I, I didn't get to the good ending, and I kind of felt like I left them hanging with, with like a load of, of like, that don't feel good. So regardless of how, Brother Ezra, however long it takes, we're going to get to the end today because we need the good ending. We need the good ending. As we talk about, bang for your buck. Now, remember, keep in mind, that means that you've got a value. It means you're getting the most out of your money. So how do you get the most from your money, especially if you're a Christ follower and we're talking about the kingdom of God? How do you get the most bang, the most out of your dollars as far as God's concerned? And our sermon title today is your cheating heart. And let me assure you, the goal is not every week to come up with a song that goes on with the message. It just happened to be two times in a row. And I was really excited because, again, uh, Malachi chapter 3 is one of those sermons I really like. I like the scripture, and I try to preach it every couple of years because I really think it teaches well about our obligation to give, to give locally to the church, and also to give offerings that go beyond that um, somewhere else. It really does. But at the same time, I didn't want to just serve up the same old stuff um, to you, even if it's been a couple of years since I taught this scripture. And so I was going along, and I chose the New Living Translation script, uh, translation for the Bible translation. And lo and behold, right there it used a word that really, really, really stirred my heart, and it was the word Cheat. Now, most of the translations say, will a man rob God? And that's a great word. Uh, and actually really goes along with, will a man cheat God? So we'll, we'll see where we're going in just a moment. But, you know, Your Cheating Heart, the song is this, Your Cheating Heart. It was written by Hank Williams in 1952. Um, what happened was um, his wife was unfaithful to him. And so I don't know the time gap between the unfaithfulness and this happening, but for too much longer, he had a new fiance, and they were driving from Nashville to Louisiana, and he's telling her all about, you know, the other wife. And so he says, yeah, she had a cheating heart. And it just, you know, she, he said to her, get a pencil out. And so in just a matter of a few minutes, he wrote down the words to your cheating heart. And it spent six months on top of the number one, or excuse me, six weeks on the number one chart for country music. It's a standard in country music even today. So here's the deal. Amazingly and sadly, in, six, in three months, he was dead. See, we never know. We never know. Um, I asked, uh, I was talking to, who was I talking to? Chris back there. I said, what, what did he die of? And it may have been a, a mixture, honestly, of drugs and alcohol. They don't really know. He had some health issues going on also. But he was in the back seat, and the driver stopped, and he was gone. Just like that, he was gone. But his legacy lives on, and one of his legacies as a country music singer is this song, Your Cheating Heart. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this sermon really is not about money as much as it is about our heart. So as we talk about 
Malachi chapter 3, which does talk about tithes and offerings, think bigger. I want you to think this. You know, what is it in your heart or what in your life perhaps maybe has stolen your heart away from God? Now, it will really help you to understand that when we think about uh, God and us, when we talk about Jesus and us, several times the scriptures talk about the relationship as in a marriage. Okay, um, we are the church is considered the bride of Christ, and and Christ is the groom. Um, in the song we sang, "Your bride sings to you." Um, over in Ephesians in chapter uh, five, where he talks about the husband and the wife, how he compares the church to the bride. So over and over again we see this. So in your mind, kind of think about: Okay, I'm a Jesus follower. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm a Jesus follower. Be thinking about the relationship within the confines of marriage. So our scripture today is Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse number 6, and we're going to talk about our relationship with God and our heart in that relationship. Now, Malachi chapter 3, verse number 6, the Lord, we start out talking about the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord's faithfulness. Here's what he says in verse number 6. He says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Change. I love this. And you should love this also. You know, over in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, here's what Numbers says. You know, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Um, has he said and will he not do it? Um, or has he spoken and will he not be faithful to fulfill it? So, so God is a God who does not change. Now, why is that so important? Because again, he is a... Covenant-keeping God. Now listen, listen. One of the strengths of marriage is that, again, the idea is faithfulness to one another. And we have a God who's not going to change his mind. You know, God's not going to wake up tomorrow like God wakes up. But he's not going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, you know what? I just changed my mind about you. I've decided you're not worthy of my grace. You're not worthy of my love. So I've just changed my mind. Um, you, can, you can lay down your head tonight on a pillow and wake up tomorrow or 10 days from now or 10 years from now or into eternity with this. God will never change his mind about you. Amen. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8, a verse that we're more familiar with, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. So, so he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, listen, listen, I'm the Lord. I'm not going to change. I'm, not gonna, I'm in this for the good. You, know, you want in any relationship that you have, you want to know that the person's not going to change his mind. Well, God is saying to you today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, if you have believed that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross like this, rose again from the, on the third day, and he died for your sins, you're willing to turn from your sin and follow him, he's not going to change his mind. He's in it for the long haul. Now listen to what he says again. He goes on and says this. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. It's, it's not that the children of Israel were faithful. It, it wasn't that, woohoo, they were such great people that God said, I just can't wait to invite them to my family. Isn't that true of us? I, I, you, you may be one of the ones that are here today and you're going, you know, I'm just a really good person. I know God wakes up every day and says, I'm glad I let him in. Well, the rest of us who are pretty heavy sinners can't say that. And we've not been always faithful to God. And frankly, in a normal relationship, I've given God plenty of reasons for him to say, I'm done. But he's not 
like us. He's in it for the long haul. I'm a covenant-keeping God, he would say. You, you, you may be covenant breakers, but I am covenant keepers. Over in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, the Bible says there, you know, the faithful love, the unlimited love, the unconditional love of God never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Isn't that good to know? Now, come on now. That's not that good news you need to know. You know, isn't it wonderful to know that, that His mercies never end, His mercies never cease, His faithful love never ends. He's in it for the long haul. He will be there when you need Him. He will be faithful even when you're not faithful. And that's just amazing. You know, you remember the, remember the story about the manna? You know, you know, they have you know, donuts every morning. You know, they, they would go, the children of Israel would go out every day and there would be these sweet things. Uh, it literally, that's the truth. It tastes like, like honey, like crusted honey. And they would go out every day and that's how God provided food for them. Every day they would go out and, and they would pick up. But here's the deal. They would only pick up enough for that day. For that day. With the exception of Friday where because that's the eve of the Sabbath, they could pick up two days worth. And every day, the, the supply was fresh. Every day, the supply was fresh. And that's how his love and mercy is. Every day. Listen, listen, listen. No matter what you got planned for this afternoon, maybe what you don't have planned, no matter what disaster is looming in your future, no matter what, what disaster, what, what nuclear bomb and sin-wise is going to go up, you need to know something. His grace is sufficient. He's not going to change his mind about you. There's nothing that you can do that's going to cause God to change his mind about you. There's nothing you can do for him to love you more or less. More or less. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So now, against that background, we have verse number 7, the first part. Here's what Malachi says. Actually, here's what God says. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now he goes, I'm God. I'm not going to change. And it's because of my grace and mercy that I haven't zapped you already because I'm a covenant-keeping God. But the truth is, ever since your ancestors, you scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Ever since the beginning... You've not been faithful. But isn't it great to know that even when we're not faithful, He is. Let me say that again so you'll write it down. Even when, even when we're not faithful, He is. See, the children of Israel have, well, we have something the children of Israel have. I wrote down, I put down spiritually nomads. Spiritual nomads. They were spiritual nomads. Their heart was always prone to wonder. Their heart was always prone to One minute, they were madly in love with God, and the next minute, they're loving something else. Over and over and over and over again. And we have that same tendency. That same tendency. That's why I asked David to sing that song, Come Thy Found. Let me, let me read the words to you of that one of those middle verses. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. How, what a great debtor I'm daily constrained to be. Let thy... Goodness, like a fetter, like a chain, like a rope, 
by my wandering heart to thee. Now listen, listen. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You ever felt that before? You love God, but sometimes there's this tug, this pulling, and you're prone to wander. I feel it. Lord, prone to leave the God I love. And his plea is, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We all have this nomadic tendencies. And, and it's different things for different people that pull us away. There, there are different things that want to pull our hearts away from God. And we're going to talk about one of the big ones, which is money, stuff, things. But the bottom line is there are so many things that can tug and pull our hearts away from God. We are just prone to wonder. We have nomadic flesh. You know, we, we would go to Niger and we would, we would work in the desert with the, with the Tomashek people. And, and they were nomadic people. It was in their blood. They, they, they lived in tents because they knew at any moment they would take their tent down and move on. That's the way our flesh is. Even though, even though we love the Lord our God, we have this, this tendency, this, 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 this restlessness, Judy. This restlessness that causes us to be... Nomadic. But he continues in verse 7. Notice the redemptive heart of God. Again, we are not, but he's faithful. Now return to me. Now return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He said, listen, listen. I know, I know, I know. You've been unfaithful. You, you've despised my decrees. You've given, you've given your heart to something else. But come home. Come to me, and, and what you're going to find is I will return to you. When, when, you, turn, when you turn around, when, when, when you wander away, if you'll just turn around, you'll find me waiting for you. Amen. You know, we're unfaithful. He's unrelenting. Amen. We're unfaithful. He is unrelenting. How, how Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love this. You know, we love the story of, of the prodigal son. But here's what I want you to see. You know, Every prodigal son and daughter. Somebody say every. every. Every one of them. Every prodigal son and daughter, okay, will find the father waiting when they return. I love that. Listen, again, it's not if you mess up a little bit, you'll find him waiting. No matter what happens in your life, no matter who you give your heart to, no matter what you give your heart to, every prodigal son and daughter will find the father waiting. When they return. And I want to tell you, it's just time to come home. It's time to come home. Where you are, if you've given your heart away, where you are is never as good as home. Now, here's the deal. You know, with that kind of invitation, with that kind, return to me and I'll return to you. With that, you expect the people to go, yes, God, thank you. Oh, I've been waiting for the invitation. That is not what happens. And you know what's crazy? It's not what happens with us either. Here's their response in verse 7, the third part. But you ask, how can we return? Now, see, that would be a plea. That'd be a prayer God would hear. Oh, come home, child. Yes, Father, how can I come home? But it doesn't end there. Instead, it says, how can we return when we've never gone away? They are totally blind to the fact 
that their marriage with God, their relationship with God has gone south. They totally are not aware of it. You know, we go to the beach every once in a while, and you've heard of Riptide. Riptide is the one where um, you, it will actually pull you slowly, tug at you slowly. You get caught in it and pulls you out to sea. But there's also another tide. I'm not sure it has a name, but I know I've experienced it a lot. So if you're in the water, you know, you remember how you put your stuff on the beach? You know, so you keep an eye on it. You put your stuff there, you know. And so you're playing in the water, and all of a sudden you look up and you go, where'd my stuff go? Where'd my stuff go? And you look down the beach about 40 yards, and there's your stuff. And here's the deal. Your stuff hasn't moved. Well, who's moved? You have. You have. See, and so, so they were totally aware. Slowly, slowly, they've they're been pulled away from God, and they're totally unaware of the marriage going south, the relationship going south. They're almost totally unaware that they've allowed their hearts to be captured by something else. It happens to us. You can come to church and sit in this building three times a week, five times a week, and slowly your heart can still be stolen away. We need to be acutely aware of the thief of the heart. We need to be acutely aware of the thief of the heart. So here's the deal. We're blind. We're blind. You know, someone said, the eyes are useless when the heart and mind are blind. You know, how good, you know, Dr. Ben would say, oh, your eyes are 20-20, but, but the eyes are useless when your heart is blind. Your, your eyes are useless when your mind is blind. We've got to be sensitive. We've got to be aware that something doesn't steal away or capture our heart. So that begins setting us up because, see, most society lives lives there. That's exactly where most of society lives. They walk around blind. We expect that because they're not saved. You know what the crazy part is? The crazy part is God's kids are often blind. I'm telling you, in the church, especially, let me speak to you in the West because that's where I live, but in the, in the church of the West, too many of God's kids, believers in Christ, are blind. They're blind in their heart, that they've given their heart away, and they're blind in their mind. You reckon that's why, you know, I'm going to mention this later, but can I give it to you now? You think that's why, you know, Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be? Where your treasure, that's where your heart will be? You think that's why he said that? You, you, you think that's why it's so important? I think it is. I think, you, you think that's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, renewing your mind? Renewing your mind. Because he knows if the mind is blind and the heart is blind... We're in great danger. We're in great danger. So God cares enough to be blunt. Be blunt. So this is the word that grabbed my heart when I started preparing this message. And it's the word cheat. In Malachi 3.8, he asks a question. God does. He says, should people cheat God? Should people Cheat God. Now, if you've got the King James, if you've got ESV, probably, frankly, even most other translations will use the word, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? But, you know, they're so, it's the same, it's equal. It's an equal setting. Because, you see, when you rob, you take something from someone, and when you cheat, you take something from someone. 
But here's what I realized, is that we could, we could eat on equal footing with the Word of God. We could easily say, should people cheat on God? Should people cheat on God? See, you know, physically, in, in relationship, when we give something away in our marriage, our presence, our heart, that's cheating. You're cheating on someone. But what if we give our hearts away to something else? Isn't that also cheating on God? So I think it's fair to say then that we could easily say in Malachi 3a, you know, should people cheat God? Should people cheat on God? And of course, the, the logical answer, whoa, 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 how can we cheat on God? How can we cheat on God after this? How can we cheat on God after he said, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. How can we cheat on God when just a few weeks on Good Friday, we talk about that Jesus died on a woman cross. How can we cheat on God when he rose again from the third day? How can we cheat on God when he promises eternal life for anyone, anyone, anyone who's one to believe? But we do. We do. Should a man, should people cheat on God? And then he goes on and says this, you have cheated me. And what he's saying is, you've given your heart. See, this is about the heart. You have cheated on me. You've given your heart away. You're seeing in our relationship, God would say this, in our relationship, okay, you're seeing someone on the side. In our relationship, that's supposed to be total and completely exclusive. You've got someone on the side. You got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend, you got a mistress. You're cheating, he said. You have cheated on me. Now, James picks up this. Remember James, the half brother of Jesus? You know, James in chapter 4 picks up on this. Look what he says. It's, it's also very blunt. He, he, now, again, he's speaking to believers. He's not like speaking to the lost people, he's speaking to believers. And he says to believers, You adulterous people. Why? You adulterous people. And the reason they're adulterous people, they've given their heart away. Okay? So you adulterous people, don't you know? Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? In other words, in this mutually exclusive relationship called salvation, called relationship with God, he said, don't you know that when you have a friend on the side... That that's the same thing as saying, God, I hate you? Wow. Don't you understand? When you're, when you're seeing someone outside of the relationship, you've given your heart away to power or pride or things, whatever it is. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, don't you know it's the same thing as saying, God, I hate you? And listen, he's not done. Anyone who chooses... To be a friend of the world. Anyone who chooses to have a friend in the world and get out of this mutually exclusive relationship, anyone who chooses that becomes an enemy of God. God says when we, when we began our relationship, you remember what Ten Commandments says? You shall have no other gods before me. You remember that part where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. That you know, It's when you stood at the altar and you said, God... You're mine and I'm yours. Don't you understand that when you've got, you've given your heart away and there's a friend on the side, it's the same thing as saying, God, I hate you. You know, the, the message, when I don't use it very often. The message is a good reading tool. 
It really helps you understand the Bible. And sometimes it says things crystal clear. Keep in mind, it's not a translation, that it is a paraphrase. It's, it's somebody reading the Bible, the Greek, and then saying, well, this is what it means to me. Okay, whereas a word-for-word translation is a translation. But listen, listen to this one. Listen to this one. You're cheating on God. You're cheating on God. If all you want in this mutually exclusive relationship, if all you want is your own way, oh, if, if you're, all you want is flirting with the world every chance you get, you're going to end up enemies of God in his way. Now that, hear, do you hear that? Whether you, take, whether you take the translation I used, you know, the NIV 84, or whether you use that one, it's so clear that we're in this relationship with God, and we have a friend on the side. You need to understand you're flirting with the world. You're flirting with danger. You have a mistress in the world, and you're going to end up enemies of God at odds with God. Now, Matthew 6.24, and we know this one, Matthew 6.24 really lays it out there so clear. This is one of those ones when Jesus said, you know, it's crystal clear. Here's what he said. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, no one. How many? No no one. Yeah. No one can serve two masters. Now, you're going to say it in a minute, so I'm going to stick it in now. No one can serve two masters, and no one can love two masters. That's an absolute. I, I know, I know. Sometimes we think, yeah, but I can't. I can balance it, Dwayne. I can do this. I can be Joe Christian on Sunday and then live like the devil the rest of the week. And somehow it's okay with everybody. It's like Puma saying, so you're going to eat him and you're going to eat him and you're going to eat him and we're all okay with this? God's not okay with it. And you shouldn't be okay with it. I shouldn't be okay with it in my life. So he says, you, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one. And love the other. You can't love two masters. He goes on. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve. And I put in brackets in my notes. You cannot serve. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot love God, serve God, and then be enslaved to money. Tell you what. If you're taking notes, put this word in there. You cannot serve, love God, and be enamored with money. You cannot love, you cannot be in love with God and be in love with something else. Amen. You cannot, y'all, we need to hear this. Because this is part of the problem in the Western culture and churches. We think we can have multiple lovers. And we can't. You cannot love God and then be enamored or in love with money. You simply cannot do it. So, what do we do? Well, verse 3a, the response of the people is <laughs> they're shocked. They're shocked. What do you what do you ask? What do you mean? When when did we ever cheat on you? Isn't this crazy how blind they are? Because maybe you're arguing, right? I hope you're not arguing arguing with me. Don't shoot me, I'm just the messenger. Um, but maybe you're arguing with God right now. And you're going, yeah, you know what? There is this thing in my life. You know, I, I do have this thing with pornography. Um, I, I have this thing with pride. And yeah, you know what? I had a guy, like I told you last week, I had a guy say, I just love money. And maybe you'd be honest enough to say, you know what? I am a little bit tight-fisted because I love my money. Okay? So, so maybe, maybe you're saying, you know, what do you mean? What did we ever cheat? I, I, mean, I don't tie, but how's that cheating? I, I watched a little porn on the slide, but, side, but how's that cheating? 
Now, how is that possible? And you know what it is? They're in denial. And it's one thing to be blind. Hmm, this is good. It's one thing to be blind. It's another thing to be in denial. Yeah. It's one thing to be blind. It's another thing to be in denial. You know, my, famous, my favorite quotes from Behold the Lamb, uh, the, the uh, ministry that David does for us at Christmas time, written by Andrew Peterson. You know, here's, here's what it says. Denial ain't just a river you know. Isn't that good? Denial, you know, get it? Denial, denial. Okay, just helping you, just helping you. Denial ain't just a river you know. And listen, denial is huge because denial acts like a roadblock, a gulf between us and the Father. When we, when we choose, ooh, good word, when we choose to be blind, when we give our heart away and then we're just blind to it by choice, it becomes a roadblock and a gulf. And here's what I wrote down. I had to use it because I thought it was cute. You know, as long as we are in denial, we are in danger of drowning. Denial, the river. As long as we're in denial, we're in danger of drowning. You know, several months ago, I used a quote by, by G.K. Chesterton, preacher. But here's what he said. We are perishing for lack of wonder. We are perishing for lack of wonder, not for lack of wonders. In other words, what he's saying is we've lost the wonder. You know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, whether it's, whether it's God or whether it's your, in your relationship with your wife or your husband or your kids. Or, and you know what? I guess in a way even your career. When you lose the wonder about the, the marriage, about God, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It means we've lost a while. See, you should never. Listen, you, every time you walk in this building, every time you get up in the morning, you should be a wonder about a wonderful God. You should, come on, come on. You should just be in wonder of a wonderful God. You know? Well, Chesterton's saying, you know, we are perishing. We're drowning for lack, for, for lack of wonder. We, we somehow have allowed ourselves to fall out of love with God. See, if you fall in love with church, that's no big loss. And probably if you fall out of love with church, it's no loss. If you fall in love with religion, it's, it's a loss. But, but if you fall out of, you know, in love with religion, it's a loss. But here's the deal. When you fall out of love with Jesus, that's a bad deal. That's a bad deal. So, so he said, we're not perishing for lack of wonder, but for lack of, or not for lack of wonders. You know, it's not that we're not seeing miracles anymore. We see miracles. You know, every day, this is the day that the Lord has made. We should rejoice. Every morning we wake up and God's given us a slate, a clean slate. His mercies are new. That's one of the wonders. But Chesterton says, that's not the deal. The deal is we've given our heart away. The deal is we've lost the wonder of the wonder. God has stopped impressing us. We've fallen out of love with him. About this time, God says, you probably need some help understanding. So he says in verse number eight, the third part, you know, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. Now, again, it'd be easy to talk about this being about money. Okay. But see, the tithes and offerings represent our hearts. Our hearts. See, the tithes, this is really not proper these days, but the tithe was a, a 10% and it was brought directly to the storehouse. Okay, we'll try to get there in just a few moments, okay? But here's the deal. That was a symbol of our love, 
okay? And we proved our love by obedience. Okay, that's really important, okay? See, the reason obedience is never important because you're trying to impress God. Obedience is never important because you're trying to gain God's approval. You can't do it with that, okay? But obedience can be a way we show our love. And so when God says, you have cheated on me, you're keeping the tithes, he said, you're keeping something that belongs to me that would demonstrate that your heart belongs to me. You're keeping something that belongs to me, okay, and it shows that your heart does not belong to me. To me. The offerings, the offerings were, were free will. Um, that was a way of showing our love through our generosity. God, I just can't. I, when I think about this, when I think about this, I just can't give enough, God. I just can't. God, when I think about that, I'm not going to hell because of Jesus. When I think about the life I get to live because of Jesus. When I think about of all eternity in heaven with you because of Jesus, I can't give enough. But then he comes along and says, but wait, wait, wait. You cheated me on the offerings. See, you... You stop showing your love for me with your generosity. With your generosity. So we stop showing, you stop showing your love you know, through obedience and you stop showing your love through generosity. And, that's, and that's, so, that's so important we recognize that. See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The issue isn't just money. This is not, this is not a money sermon, okay? The issue isn't just money. See, money is a tool. It's neutral. Money's not good. Money's not bad. It's just neutral, okay? Money is a tool. The issue is money's become our friend on the side. Money can become, has become, our mistress. All of a sudden, money, this is how you know, all of a sudden, money becomes more important than God. All of a sudden, pride becomes more important than God. All of a sudden, your title becomes more important than God. See, there are many mistresses, but a big one for us is our money. The issue is our money has become our mistress. We seem to have a thing for dead presidents. I threw that out last week. You know, we seem to be enamored with George and, you know, Lincoln, Abe, you know, Grant. Even a lot of us are in love with a fat, fat bald-headed guy named Ben Franklin on the $100 bill. We become enamored with dead presidents. So, so here's what it says in verse 9. So, 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 because of that, you're under a curse. You're under a curse. That sounds hard. But hang on a minute. You're under, it's, it's a curse of our own making. Okay? You're under a curse for your... See, that's where I had to end it first service. Wouldn't you hate to end on that one? Okay? For you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating on me. Okay? Your whole nation. You're under a curse. They've been cheating on me. You've, this, this nation that's supposed to be God people has given their heart away. And I think, again, we got to ask ourselves the question, have I given my heart away? Have I been cheating on God? Well, listen, uh, once again, we don't have a money problem. We have a heart problem. We have a heart problem. Remember, remember, the heart follows the treasure. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, with where, where what you're enamored with, where what you're in love with, that's where you'll find your heart. See? That's hugely important. You know, if, if you find yourself being pulled this way away from God, it's just your heart following your treasure. So what's your treasure today? What do you hold? What do you, listen, listen, listen. What do you hold as most valuable? What do you hold 
as most valuable. So, mark it down. Take it to the bank. A divided heart can lead only to emptiness and pain. And that's the problem. So many people are so disillusioned with God, okay, because they're trying the divided heart thing. Remember, you can't love two masters. You can't. You're going to have to choose one. Okay, so, so with this divided heart, it can only lead to emptiness and pain. And listen, listen, listen. It can lead to a divorce of your faith. When, when marriage vows are broken, it's one of the big causes of divorce. And, and Paul makes it real clear where we're going now. You know, Paul makes it very clear. Listen, listen. It can cause a divorce in our faith. Here's how he said it. Here's how Paul said it. It's 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. He says this. But people who long to be rich, people who are in love with something else besides Jesus, people who are in love with money, with things, with prestige, with power, okay? People who long to be rich fall into temptation, like falling off a cliff. You fall into temptation and you're trapped by, listen, by, listen, by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That's the curse. That's the curse. When we give our heart away and give it to something else besides God, this is the path. It leads us to harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That's why so many Christians aren't happy they've given their heart away. And it, this is where it leads. Then Paul turns around and says to, in verse number 10, he says, listen, you've got to understand something. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money's not the root. Money's a tool. Money's neutral. But when you start loving money, when you start giving your heart away to money, when you decide in this exclusive, uh, exclusive, uh, I've lost the word, this exclusive relationship, when you decide that, it's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith, have pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's the curse. That's the curse. Well, Dwayne, what, what do we do? What do we do? I don't want that. I mean, if we can understand in our marriage relationships, if we could understand the pain and agony of an affair, it would really be a big deterrent for us to stay away from that. Stay away from the water cooler. Stay away from the chat room. Be big. Well, well God says, okay, how, how can we avoid that? Well, God says this. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes. Bring that representation of your heart um, into the storehouse. And I'll be honest with you, in our context, it's talking about the church. Into the storehouse. So there will be food enough in my temple. In other words, as an act of love and obedience, as a representation of your heart, bring it to me. (laughs) I like this. Bring your mistress to church. Bring your mistress to church. That's what God's word says. The the solution, the way to start getting your heart back is start being obedient to show your love through your obedience in the area of giving. Bring your mistress to the storehouse and the best way to end the relationship is by giving it to God. See, if there's ever an affair in a marriage, it's got to end. You can't dabble in it. And God is saying the way for you to bring to come home with your heart is to bring your mistress to the storehouse and give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. See, we bring our, our tithes, our mistress, to the house of God, and that shows our love. But we also need to bring our heart 
to the storehouse. Bring our heart to the storehouse. Listen, you remember the story of the prodigal son? When the prodigal came home, when he came to his senses, he came home. And God says, yes, bring, bring this representation of your heart to the house of God. Lay it, give it to me. Give the mistress to me, but also give me your heart. Also give me your heart. Here's what that looks like. Luke chapter 15. When the prodigal son finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food and up to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. He brought his heart back to God. Now the question is this. Do you need to bring your heart back to God? Is it time to say, hey world, hey money, hey pride, hey arrogance, hey porn. My heart doesn't belong there anymore. I'm taking my heart back to the father. Amen? Does it make sense a little bit? And here's the deal. Watch this, watch this. In verse 10, the second part. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, if we had time, I would dwell there just a moment. I don't. But I will tell you what it looks like. You know what it looks like? Here's what it looks like. Luke 15. His father, when the son shows up, this is what this is what it looks like when we test God, prove God. His father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Quick, get a ring for his finger. Quick, put sandals on his feet. Hey, we've got to kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast. And for this son of mine was dead, he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found, and the party began. When we determine that we're in this exclusive relationship with God, when we rediscover, wait, 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 I've been blind. Wait, I've been blind in my mind. I've been blind in my heart. Oh my gosh, I've given my heart to someone else. And you realize you've got to take that heart and bring it back to God. When you do that, you know what God's going to do? Well, it's about time. Who do you think you were wandering away anyway? How did you get yourself in this hot mess? No, he's going to throw a party. He's going to throw a party. He's going to say, welcome home, son. Come on, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. I'm telling you, when we take our heart back from what we get it to and bring it home, God's going to throw a party because he loves you to death. He is mad about you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And just like the son realized out there in the wilderness where he'd given his heart to the world, it was starvation, it was loneliness. We're going to discover that when we leave that and come here, it's going to be wonderful. Amen. So, so I hope, listen, I, I hope this has spoke to your hearts. And again, it may be money, it may not be money. But what is it or is it anything in your life that's stolen your, that's captured your heart? And stolen away from God. And today might be the day when you need to bring it back. Just like Paul wrote about taking every thought captive, maybe it's time to take our heart captive and bring it back to the Father. So here's what we're going to do. Every time we do this, every week, we have decision time, don't we, Brent? And I ask you to stand right here. But today I want to really make it very, very clear that if you want to come, 
Well, first, Brent would be glad to pray with you. We have some other folks. But if you just want to come to the altar. Now, don't say, but if I go to the altar, people might think, who cares? Who cares? But the altar will be open. And maybe you might want to come and just say, God, thank you for this exclusive relationship. Thank you that my heart. Now, Lord, help me to guard my heart because I know there's something that wants to steal it. Help me to guard my heart. Maybe you need to come home. God wants to fill a part. He wants to fill a part. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thanks for your hope. I want to ask God that you will now speak to our hearts during this time of indecision. Uh, of decision. If there's something, Father, we need, we need, Father, whether it's to lay our hearts on the altar, uh, whether it's to determine today that we're in an exclusive relationship with you and nothing can shake or change that. Father, what it is, you're speaking to the hearts of your people. Lord, would you please do that? And we pray in your precious name. Amen.